Before we turn to John chapter 8, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and be reminded by other words of Paul about the blessing we have in knowing and understanding the gospel. As Paul recounted the travail of our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross from Psalm 22, he made reference to Galatians 6.14 where Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we ought to glory in. Churches and men and families are tempted to glory in all kinds of things, but it ought to be in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I referred to this earlier in opening this service. These words, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. Paul had every ability. He was trained to be an eloquent orator. He proved it later when he was on trial before Agrippa and other trials in the book of Acts. But he did not use that when he was preaching the gospel because it would corrupt the preaching of the gospel to cause men's faith to stand in the wisdom of his words rather than the power of God. Verse 2, in agreement with what Paul said from Galatians 6.14, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christ-centric preaching. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. This is the, the, the wisdom of the Christian religion that we have among ourselves today. We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Amen and amen. If they would have known who the Lord Jesus was, they wouldn't have touched him. And if they knew that we were the adopted sons of God, paparazzi would surround this property. They didn't know him, and they don't know us. We are a secret band of hidden brothers scattered abroad throughout the world in various outposts of local churches that are the children of God and the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The song we sang and Mark referred to in his prayer, love and serve him best of all. That can be seen two ways. Love and serve Jesus Christ better than anything else in your life. Or... Love and serve Jesus Christ better than anyone else sitting in here. Jesus once asked Simon Peter, Simon, lovest thou me more than these? Was Jesus asking Simon Peter, do you love me more than the other ten apostles here? No. Was Jesus asking Simon, do you love me more than these 318 fishes that you just took? No. Simon, do you love me more than the other ten apostles here love me? That's what he was asking because Peter had declared that before his betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane when he told the Lord, Though all men be will betray thee, I will not. I will even go to death for thee. 
And so the Lord is going to ask us right now, how much do we love Him? Do we love Him more than anything else in our lives? And do we love Him more than those sitting around us? And it's not for our glory. It's not to have some foolish fleshly contest. It's to give Him all that we possibly can. Let's turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I understand the time, and it is fine. We will make do with what time we have and go as far as we're able. John chapter 8 is the day after the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a seven-day feast. And I want us to look back at John chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, just to get a picture, just to remind ourselves of the context where we are. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, it tells us in John 7, 1, for he would not walk in Jewry or around Jerusalem in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. So he is staying north about 80 miles around the Sea of Galilee. He had been raised in the city of Nazareth. He went and lived in the city of Capernaum there in the Galilean backwoods country around that sea. Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand, so it tells us we are six months from his crucifixion. This was an October feast compared to the Passover being in March or April, so we're six months before he dies. We've been through his Passovers leading up to this passage. You've got to remember that in John chapter 13, you are immediately brought to the hours before the crucifixion. 21 chapters in John are not spread proportionately. From 13 to the end, or the last nine chapters, are around his crucifixion and resurrection. And so we read that in John 7 and verse 1. In verse 10, what happens here, if you remember, his brothers tried to get him to go. They pushed him. They, they provoked him to want to get him to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles, and they would go with him, and they would show him to the Jews that if he really had a message and a mission from God, he ought to be willing to talk about it and to show it. They, had, they did not believe on him, and it tells us that, verse 5, neither did his brethren believe in him. How in the world could you be a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ for 33 years and not believe on him? Because until God shines in the darkness, you won't believe no matter what's done. The Lord Jesus Christ said that if Lazarus were to come back from the dead, it would not help the five brothers of the rich man in hell. Because they have Moses and the scriptures to hear every Sabbath day. If that doesn't work, there is no evangelistic method that will work. God must shine in our hearts. God must put life in our hearts in order for us to be vitally alive, to hear, to see, to believe, and to understand, and then obey. So neither did his brothers believe on him, according to verse 5. In verse 10, Jesus does go up secretly to the Feast of Tabernacles after his brothers had gone up without him. And it tells us that in verse 10, But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Now about the midst of the feast, it tells us in verse 14, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And so he comes in discreetly, but it's no longer discreet because he's in the temple where everyone is congregated to celebrate this ancient feast of Moses. And I want to share with you, we'll come back to it maybe if we have time, wonderful verses that are found in verses 15 through 17, Jesus was uneducated. They knew it, and so they said this to him. The Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? 
He wasn't one of the scribes. He wasn't a Pharisee. He hadn't been to seminary. He wasn't part of the ministerial association. He didn't have any continuing education units to his credit. Jesus had a great answer. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. I didn't have to learn it. I didn't have to learn it from letters. God gave it to me. And brethren, that 17th verse, I don't want you to ever forget it. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And that is an important principle of understanding Scripture. Until you obey, God does not open your eyes further to see more truth. It is obedience that opens your eyes and ears and heart to further understanding. If you disobey, God is able to put scales over your eyes and to pull down a veil and hide truth from you, which he has done. God is indeed the author of confusion. He is not the author of confusion is in his assemblies because everything done in his assemblies is to be done decently and in order. Right. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us he's not an author of charismatic confusion right. in an assembly because everything is to be done orderly. But he is the author of confusion from one end of the Bible to the other end right. in darkening the eyes and judging men with blindness yeah. when they do not obey the truth that they are offered. And that is a serious warning to us, and I just wanted to get that 17th verse in again to remind you of it. In verse 21, we have the context explained why they still hate him. Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. They just accused him of having a devil in verse 20. He says, I've done one work. That one work is the healing of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda from chapter 5. And because we have been studying through these chapters, we know that connection. And that's why they still hate him for having healed the paralytic. They didn't care about the paralytic. False teachers do not care about men except what those men can give them. Right. And they didn't care about the paralytic. Why didn't they care about the healing of the paralytic? Because Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath day. Yet... They would go and lead their sheep and their oxen to watering on the Sabbath day and violate the Sabbath, understanding that a violation for the benefit of a man was okay. They knew that. And yet they hate the Lord Jesus Christ for healing on the Sabbath. Then we come all the way down to his promise and prophecy of the day of Pentecost in verse 38. He that believeth on me, John 7, 38, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And John, by the Holy Spirit, tells us that the Holy Ghost is going to be given in his person to believers on the day of Pentecost after Jesus is resurrected and ascended up into heaven. And we, we studied those wonderful verses. Amen. A council is made of the Jews to try to destroy him. Nicodemus speaks up. They ridicule Nicodemus. The chapter ends. They go to their homes Jesus goes and stays in the Mount of Olives because he doesn't have a home. He said the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. Right. And this is one of those examples, though he has been in ministry for three years. And so we have the woman taken in adultery brought to him that we've dealt with over the last couple of Sundays, and that ends at verse 11. The modern translations of the Bible deny the integrity, authenticity, and inspiration of John 7, 53 through John 8, 11. They'll either remove these 12 verses or they'll put brackets around them and in a footnote state 
that their ancient and revered manuscripts, Vaticanus in the Pope's Library and Sinaiticus from St. Catherine's Monastery on Mount Sinai don't have them. (laughs) Everything else does, but they don't. And we went through all that. God's preservation of his scriptures and why we would preach John 8, 1 through 11 because it's in the word of God. And I told you why, that it had been taken out of translations where the scribes were not all that intelligent or conscientious about scripture, how that the early lectionaries had taken this passage out to make the reading on the day of Pentecost without adultery being brought into it. Because they began their reading on the day of Pentecost in verse 37 and continued it down through the end of the chapter, but because they didn't want it to end with the words in verse 52, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet, they tacked on John 8, 12, which is a wonderful verse that I want to get to as fast as I can get there, that Jesus is the light of the world. So in all the lectionaries, which gave what passage of Scripture was to be read on the day of Pentecost, because they had to have John 7, 37, 38, and 39, they then took out verses 1 through 11 of chapter 8 and verse 53 of chapter 7 and noted it with brackets around it. And so, when textual critics of the modern MTV generation find a manuscript with notes around 753 through 811, they jump to the false conclusion that there was questions of the authenticity, inspiration, or integrity of those verses, but that wasn't the case at all. And John William Burgeon has wrote an, an incredible work 150 years ago, showing from those lectionaries exactly the error that was made. And we know why it's in there, and we thank God for keeping it in there, and we preached it, and the Lord has shown us the truth about the passage when Jesus said, He that is without sin... And the Lord has shown us what that actually meant instead of the compromising, effeminate application of it that is so common today in order to get rid of real judgment in churches and the world. Okay, that brings us to John chapter 8 and verse 12. We only have a few minutes. These are wonderful words. I don't want to leave them. There are places that we come to in expositional preaching that I don't want to leave. And I don't want to leave John 8, 12. I want you to remember John 8, 12. I want you to think about it today. I want you to think about it tomorrow and ask yourself the question, am I following the Lord Jesus Christ? John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus unto them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your boldness and confidence to make that declaration. When it tells us in verse 12 that Jesus spake again unto them, it's meaning the group that gathered with him in verses 1 and 2 to hear him preach in the temple, they had been interrupted in verses 3 through 11 by the woman taken in adultery and those scribes and Pharisees trying to trap the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jesus resumes his preaching after getting rid of those men with one 12-word sentence. Beautiful, the wisdom of Jesus Christ. But we're at verse 12, I am the light of the world. This is the most crucial verse in John chapter 8 due to its declaration and offer and condition. Jesus as the light of the world is not some fuzzy, nebulous, weak metaphor. Jesus as the light of the world is not for good feelings but rather for truth and righteousness and wisdom. 
Jesus as light of the world has no value without obedience to the condition. You don't even know what his light means until you obey him and he sheds more and more light in your life. He is the only light in the world. Anyone in the world that is ever going to have light must come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that dispels the darkness of humanity, the lies and depravity of the human heart and the lies of false religion and the delusions that men are under and the bondage of the fear of death. On and on it goes. But the light of Jesus Christ frees from all that. But you've got to follow him to get light. If you don't follow him, he'll blind your eyes. He'll harden your heart. He'll stop up your ears. It says so repeatedly in the New Testament as it quotes from Isaiah chapter 6 and Isaiah chapter 29. Jesus spoke in parables to hide the truth from his generation because they had not received the message of the prophets that he had sent them earlier. And so Matthew 13 explains that your eyes, he says to his apostles, your ears are blessed to hear and to understand these things, but it is not given to them to understand. Thus I speak in parables to hide it from them. Lo, beware, woe is us if the Lord ever turns against us that way. And he will turn against those who make anything but his son the center of their affection and the center of their attention and the center of their preaching and their living. Lord, help us. Save us from ourselves. Our hearts, as we sing in a particular psalm, are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 tell us that we are supposed to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitful sin, through the deceitfulness of sin, and depart from the living God. We are capable of doing it. And right now we have the light of the world standing before us. Paul described to us what the Lord Jesus Christ did hanging on the cross of Calvary. Before he gets to the cross of Calvary, he's right here in the treasury of the temple. Verse 20 tells us he's in the treasury of the temple. We're told what room he's in. We're told what building he's in. We know exactly where he is in Jerusalem. And these are his words coming from his mouth. And we are seeing the yapping of wicked men who were his people. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. John chapter 1 and verse 11. They rejected him. And they're yapping at him. Anything he says, they yap, they pick, they criticize. They want to trap him in his words. Let us never be like that. Let us speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Lord, what wilt thou have thy servant to do? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Who art thou, Lord? As Saul of Tarsus opened up that particular exchange on the road to Damascus. I am the light of the world. No man will ever consider the condition of following Jesus Christ unless he's born again. And as a born-again man, there is more and more light shed in his life. And we never exhaust the light that is possible for your life. The light that can shine in your heart for proper thinking and proper speech and proper living and proper relationships and a proper marriage, all of that is by following the Lord Jesus Christ. And only a born-again man will do that. We'll never exhaust the light. I love... Ephesians chapter 5 and about verse 14. Now we know that everyone Paul's writing to at the church at Ephesus was born again. Because chapter 2 is all about them being born again. The first 10 verses, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And it goes on for 10 verses to describe them being God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
that we've been born again and we have a new nature created in us that is like the Lord Jesus Christ, able to keep the commandments of God. So they're born again. And we go to that chapter when we're dealing with regeneration. But chapter 5, the apostle writing the same people says, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Amen. Now wait a minute. There must be more light. There is more light. And so even for us, assembled here, that have been born again, that know Jesus is the light of the world, there is yet more light for us to dispel more darkness that yet remains in you, in your old man, and in the world around us. Listen, reading the news the last few days, reading the news the last few years, reading the news the last few decades, what wells up inside of you but anger, hatred, resentment, confusion, frustration, disappointment in the confusion of men out there and the lies that they're selling and their inability to deal with truth and reality. There's darkness everywhere you look. There's darkness of religion. There's darkness of politics. There's darkness in education. There's darkness in so-called science. And it's all dispelled by learning about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know how everything got here? I can take you to John 1 and verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's how everything got here, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. He created everything. We're Gentiles. If there's a Jew in here, we're thankful to have you with us today. But we're Gentiles. We've worshipped everything known to man. From the sun to dogs to the fleas on the dog's back. We've tried everything. We've tried crocodiles. We've tried Stonehenge. We're Gentiles. But a great light has shined. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ came, and he did not limit himself just to the Jews, though that was the primary source object of his ministry. And then he sent his apostles into the world, and they turned the world upside down trying to get to us. Right. And they did get to us. Amen. And that gospel has made its way to the Piedmont of the Carolinas. Amen. And we know it today because of Paul, who was the apostle of the Gentiles, ordained Timothy and told Timothy to find other faithful men who would be able to teach others also. That's four generations of preachers. We believe in the ministerial succession of God's ministers, and they have brought us the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he himself is the light of the world. Right. Thank you, Lord, for saving us Gentiles. If you can hold your place at John chapter 8, look back at Isaiah chapter 9. There's so many passages I could read about the prophecy and promise of the gospel of light coming to the Gentiles, but we'll just look at a couple. There's so many of them. This confident declarative statement by the Lord of glory is absolutely true. I am the light of the world. There's seven and a half billion people on planet Earth right now. And the only, the only source of light that they have is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. But they hate him. They don't know about him. They reject him. They despise him. They ridicule us Bible Christians. We're the most despised and hated group of people in America. And we're the only ones that have no laws to protect us except the law of the freedom of religion. And that's why we believe it. And we want to practice it. If you want to build a mosque down the street, we'll let you worship in your mosque as long as you allow us to build our place of worship and we get together. You can go ahead and say whatever you want to in your mosque because we're going to get together and say whatever we want to in our church because we're going to preach the whole counsel of God. And we already know what he thinks of Allah and Muhammad. Isaiah chapter 9, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such. I'm in verse 1. 
as was in her vexation, when at the first he lately afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan. He's talking about the outskirts of Israel. Notice where they are. Beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Because around Galilee were the Gentile nations that bordered on Israel. There was intermarriages between them and influenced by those pagan Gentiles. But verse 2 tells us the people that walked in darkness, those influenced by Gentiles, have seen a great light. Amen. And chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 11, it says in verse 1, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. That is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David. It tells us in verse 10, And in that day, when the Lord Jesus Christ would come, there shall be a root of Jesse, David, the Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. It is finished. The Son of David cried in the cross of Calvary, and we get to rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to take a bullock, you don't have to take a lamb or even a turtle dove to the high priest. The high priest himself has taken his own blood once into the presence of God and was accepted by him for you and me. Thank you, Lord. But an ensign of the people, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Come back to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Without him you have no light and you'll spend eternity in the blackness of darkness forever as it's described in 2 Peter. The world is a dark place and darkness is primarily wickedness and ignorance. The scriptures testify that the whole world lieth in wickedness. has no light of truth in it. If they take not heed to my word and my scriptures in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, it is because there is no light in them. That's how dark the world is, and that's how light is defined, how you respond and, and believe and accept the words of God. We're born like a wild ass's cold, as I mentioned last Lord's Day, and we're thrown in the ground like sheep. That's how the Bible describes us. We dirty ourselves when we're born. We dirty ourselves whenever we're frightened enough. And we dirty ourselves when we're departing this world. The best man has come up with in morality or wisdom is perverse profanity. And it's more obvious today than it's ever been before. They hate each other and want to kill each other while singing of self-love. The greatest love of all by Whitney Houston. The greatest love of all, according to this world. That's that very, very popular song. Love of self. That isn't the greatest love. That's the worst love of all, is to love yourself. It's to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as thyself. You already love yourself too much. You need to learn others as need to learn to love others as much as you love yourself. Our world is perversely cruel on abortion, the way that it rips apart unborn children in the womb as they rush to the other end of the womb to get away from that suction wand that sucks their limbs off. Go online and look at it. You can do that now. Divorce for any cause. Sex without love or commitment. Unions. Intimidating and threatening companies to take away jobs. Taxation. Punishing savers and rewarding debtors. Marriage. Same sex. Marriages. Are you kidding me? Transgendered children. And so forth and so on. Burning bodies in America 
like we're Hindus. Are you kidding me? Cremation? In 1963, only 3% of Americans were cremated. Now it's 60%. Why the difference? Because the Pope in the early 60s said that it was okay to be cremated. Because we're a pagan nation. We have left the roots of this nation and the Bible that was preached and that was taught here and the emphasis on burial. We could look at any point of life, any part of life, any relationship of life, and it's been corrupted by men so that it does not have the beauty and the profitability, the productivity, the peace, the pleasure that God intended for us because there's no light in them. Thank you, Lord, for the light of your word. Jesus is the light of the of the world in so many different ways. Light is righteousness, truth, and wisdom. And we proved that before. He is the founder and leader of our religion, and you should worship him. There are many false leaders of false religions of all kinds. Think about these names. I gave them to you before. I'm giving them to you again. I don't want you to forget John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. I'm going to list you some names. You had some names listed earlier this morning that didn't bring light. They brought darkness. Here we go. Mohammed. Mahatma Gandhi. You want to talk about a dark nation on earth? Check out India. And all their practices. Mother Teresa. Nero Caesar. Pope Frank. Joseph Stalin. Siddhartha Gautama. John Lennon. Stephen Hawking, Sitting Bull, Amenhotep III, that's an Egyptian pharaoh, the greatest of them, Hirohito of Japan, Charles Darwin, Joseph Smith of the Mormons, and you, you can go on and on with these names. All they brought was darkness into the world. They perpetuated darkness. Go to any one of them. Go to any one of them. Why was Joseph Smith killed in Nauvoo, Illinois, by the men of Missouri? Because of polygamy. On and on we go. The light of God's word. The light of God's word is that he had the residue of the spirit and he could have made as many women for Adam as he could have wanted to and he made one woman and brought her to Adam and her, her name was Eve. And on and on we go. Consider the ignorance, oppression, immorality, or hopelessness of all these and the influence they had on their nations or their religions. Only Jesus Now here, let me talk about him being the light of the world. Only Jesus knows the creator, Jehovah, and his character and will for man. Jesus knows him perfectly, represents him on a divine mission when he came to earth, and sits at his right hand in heaven, interceding for us with him. Only Jesus knows the origin of life and sin, the result of sin and the cure for sin. Only Jesus knows the damnation of souls and the way of salvation. Only Jesus knows how families should function and society optimize liberty. Only Jesus did anything good in his life that left good for all other men to enjoy. Only Jesus had a meaningful death that opened up the way to Jehovah God. Only Jesus knows the way to heaven and eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Oh, that's a confident statement. And yes, Lord, we love your confidence because your confident words are set in absolute truth because God gave them to you. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of the great light. My brethren, look what it says in John 8, 12. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. He that followeth me 
It does not say those that hear the gospel. It does not say those that believe the gospel. It does not say those that profess the gospel. None of those things work. Many will say to Jesus in that day, Lord, Lord, listen, we've prophesied in your name. We've done many wonderful works in your name. We've cast out devils in the name of Jesus. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That is the issue that counts. It is not knowing God. It is being known of God. Galatians chapter 4 and verses 8 and 9. It is not you accepting God. It's God accepting you that's going to count in the great day of judgment. And so it says about us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, that he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We've been accepted by God, and that is the basis of life, the basis of eternal life. Jesus will say, I never knew you. He had no affectionate relationship for them. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They are still workers of iniquities. Their sins are still upon them. They are still sent to hell for sin. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Because the the sin of the lie is still on them. But not on us, for whom he died and shed his blood on the cross of Calvary and washed our sins away. I've told lies in my life, but those lies have been washed away. And so this liar is going to be in heaven by Jesus, the light of the world. He is the light. Thank you, Lord. It's not hearing. A man that hears the word of God and doesn't do it is like a man beholding his face in a mirror and going his own way and forgetting how ugly he was and what big blotch that he had that he needed to wash off that morning that he didn't. It's not believing. The devils believe and tremble. That isn't the issue. There's going to be believers right here in this passage, like there have been believers in the chapters leading up to this chapter, that were not real believers. Jesus wouldn't commit himself to them. In fact, because I can't wait, look back at John chapter 2 for me to remind you of this important fact. I do not understand why this passage that I'm about to show you is not preached. Everyone wants to preach John 1.12. Everyone wants to preach John 3.16. But they don't want the whole Bible. They want their sound bites for their little idea of what the truth is. To get to John 3, I would think that you should read John 1 and John 2. And if you read John 2, this is what you're going to run into. And this is why I'm warning you that belief is not enough. And profession is not enough. Confession is not enough. 1 John 2, 4, same writer, wrote, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now that's strong language. That's not my language. That's, that's God the Holy Spirit's language through the pen of John. 1 John 2, 4. So it's not confessing with your mouth. That's just getting you started. And the only way we ever know or God knows whether it is sincere or not is what you'll do with your life after you've opened your mouth and confessed Jesus Christ. Confessing with your mouth doesn't do anything. Lord, Lord, they're confessing. They're confessing Jesus is Lord and it gets them in hell. It's a changed life. We don't earn our way into heaven. God regenerates us by the power of the Holy Spirit. But that power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, if it's there, should change our lives. And then he brings the gospel to us and it should change our lives. John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem, at the Passover, in the feast day, I want you all there, I hear pages 
turning, John 2, 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. These people didn't really believe on him. They just saw the miracles and said, this, Jesus of Nazareth's got to be a great man. He's got to be a prophet. He may even be the Messiah, but they didn't change their lives. If you don't repent, your words that Jesus is Lord are meaningless. If you don't change your life, and there, there's people in the Bible whose lives were changed by meeting Jesus. Amen. Zacchaeus was up in a tree, a sycamore tree, because he was a man of short stature. Jesus came along. He jumped down because Jesus called him down and said, I want to have lunch with you today. The crowd murmured because they all knew that he was a scoundrel. He was a financial scoundrel. He was a publican, a tax collector for the Roman government. And he had misused his authority. He had extorted men. He jumps down, the crowd's murmuring, and Zacchaeus said, Lord, today I sell half my goods to feed the poor, and if I've wronged any man, I'll restore fourfold. That is meeting Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? Today, salvation has come to this house. That's real salvation, a changed life. We cannot leave today without a changed life. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. It is the life that gives light, and it is light that leads us to eternal life. Life and immortality is brought to light by the gospel according to 2 Timothy 1.10. The gospel doesn't bring life and immortality. The gospel brings life and immortality to light, as it says there in that verse. And so here we have John 8.12. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. It's not hearing about it. It's not believing it. It's not words. It's not professing it. It's a changed life because it's following. It's following. And those that follow Jesus are his disciples. And disciples are called Christians. They were called Christians first in Antioch, Paul's home church, Antioch of Syria, not Antioch of Pisidia where he preached later across the Mediterranean Sea. Following Jesus means that you change your life according to his direction for your life. And the word of God, it touches every part of our lives. And we want to follow him in every one of those parts. A true follower of Jesus, a real disciple, continues in his word. And that we're going to get to that if we can today. I know we're not making progress right now. But John 8, verse 31, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Who did he say that to? Another group of men that are called many that believed on him. But they didn't really believe on him. And he is going to confront them directly. And it tells us in John 8, 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue, which you can't do, with a decision. This decision for Jesus stuff, there isn't a single verse in the Bible about it. It is a changed life of repentance, like a Zacchaeus. If ye continue in my word, then... Are ye my disciples? Indeed. You have not proven anything to me yet of being a disciple of mine. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. And he provokes them with the next cup, with the next verse about them being free, and they show their hearts, and they tear him up, and he tells them, You are of your father the devil. Right. 
just like John chapter 2. How about John 6? They all came to make Jesus king. They sought him so much. You know, there's a, there's a seeker-sensitive movement out there that says we want to find seekers. What a seeker to them is someone that doesn't like to go to church because it's too churchy for them. But that definition we can just leave alone. What's a, what's a seeker? John chapter 6 has many seekers. That multitude that he fed, the loaves and the fishes, they sought him. They chased him across the Sea of Galilee to find him because he had walked in the water and got away from them temporarily to be up in a mountain praying to God. And when they finally found him, he turned on them, as, as we learned when we were in John chapter 6, and pointed out that all they cared about, they were belly worshipers. Right. All they cared about were their bellies. They wanted that free food. They wanted more of that free food. And they all left him. And Jesus turned to his apostles and said, Are you going to leave also? And Peter, his impetuous initiative was good on this occasion. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes, Peter, we agree. And so the point I'm making is we want to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just believers, not just professors, but we want to be followers. How do you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Make every choice every day to fully obey his plain doctrine. It's that simple. Make every choice every day to fully obey him. Can we show a little bit of the zeal that other people show for their religion? Baal's prophets showed quite a bit of zeal. They slashed themselves from morning until noon. That's, that's serious religion. When was the last time you slashed yourself for Jesus? You don't need to. But that was serious. Catholic nuns, they give themselves up. They take vows of chastity. They'll be virgins perpetually. They take vows of poverty. They'll never own a thing. They'll be owned by the church. Kamikaze pilots, Mormon missionaries. Every young man, 18 to 20 years of age, now women in the Mormon church, at their own expense, take two years and travel abroad to go from door to door all every day on their bikes with their white shirts and their navy blue ties. I'm sure you've seen them before. That is incredible zeal. That is incredible commitment for the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. It's not a church of Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form, except name only. That's serious commitment. Can you follow Jesus? The Lord Jesus Christ put himself and the saints of God far above your family. I came not to bring peace on earth, but a sword. Your lips are not yours. You owe every word to his glory and others' prophets. Your time is his, and everything is his. Your time is his. He gives you days, and he demands and deserves a return on that time that he gave you. He believes in the time value of money, and the money that he gave you is his grace. In Matthew 25, it's called talents. That is a unit of money. In Luke chapter 19, it's called pounds, like the British pound or the pound sterling. In England, it's an investment of money, and he expects a return on it. Your time is his. He gives you days and he demands and deserves a return. Is Jesus the Lord of your life and your work ethic? In your food and in your drink? Do you eat for strength and do you drink moderately, disciplined, temperately? Your hair length, long on women, short on men, obeying a boss. How you talk and think about civil rulers, sex. In all aspects of sex, he is the Lord of sex. He invented sex. He gave sex. He ordained sex. He restrained sex. He perfects sex. And the best sex is reserved for those that practice it the Lord's way. 
clothing, music, books, television, internet, money, friends, debts, moods, anger, contentment, prayer, enemies, giving, and everything else in your life is His. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. When you follow the Lord Jesus Christ in any part of your life, you will not have darkness there. You will have the light of life, is what he taught us. Shall not walk in darkness. The whole world is walking in darkness. Our nation is walking in darkness. They're promoting things now that we can hardly even comprehend that they would say out loud, that they would even put in print in the last few decades, the change has been dramatic and it's been diabolical and it is severe and extreme. The darkness that is coming over America because the pulpits in America do not preach the word of God, all words of the word of God, and expect it from God's people. There is nothing about following Jesus that's going to be preached today in Lakewood Church by Joel Osteen. There will be nothing of the gospel of Jesus Christ brought forth in that assembly. And yet he's America's pastor taking over from Rick Warren, who was America's pastor, who doesn't preach the word of God either. And, and they train other ministers, and other ministers ape and copy their ministries in order to multiply the crowd instead of making manifest the message. Amen. And what we want to do is make manifest the message that Jesus is the light of the world, and without him there's no way to God. Without him there's no light. You are in darkness. You have a dark heart, a dark mind, a dark world around you. Your family is dark, except for the light of Christ allowed in. And how do we get the light of Christ in? We follow him. Amen. We follow him. And the more we follow him, the more light he gives us. And the more light he gives us, the happier and more joyful you are walking with God, delighting in him, looking forward to heaven. Instead of thinking the best that you have on this world is a few bucks, is a few vacations, is a job, is having a baby. Oh, ho, ho. sorry, women. Those of you that have seen your children get to 30, you know why I just did what I did. They will get, men and women get excited about things that you shouldn't get excited about in comparison to this. Right. You know my point. Right. We get too excited about these little things of this life. Right. The more we get excited about the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him, Lord, I want to follow you in every part of my life. He gives us light in every part of our lives. Right. And we enjoy the abundant life. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Amen. How do we get that? We follow Jesus. Amen. What does it mean to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of his? Take everything he teaches and put it into practice in our lives. It's not coming in here and singing, oh, how I love Jesus. That is not following Jesus. Following Jesus is when you're away from us in the privacy of your home and you have a mouse in your hand or you have your thumb on a smartphone or you are behind someone that has their thumb on a smartphone and they're driving 10 miles below the speed limit and you are thinking homicidal thoughts. It never ends, does it? Nope. We can be like Jesus every day and we can follow him. Thus, we have just made our way from John 8:12 through John 8:20, and when we come back after our break, we'll take up with John 8:21 because I did preach verses 13 through 22 to you last Lord's Day in a hurried way. It's just an exchange between Jesus and the Jews. It's very simple to understand. There's nothing profound in it that you can take home as practical and as important as verse 12. Right. Do not misread anything that I just said. The verses 13 through 20 are God's words, and I love every single one of them. 
But verse 12 is the most important verse out of 59 verses in John chapter 8. Jesus is the light of the world and there is no light anywhere else. And the way to have that light is to follow him. And you'll walk, you'll walk in light and not in darkness because he'll dispel it all if we'll follow him. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.